fuck. <laughs> now my phone's doing something stupid. Okay, got it. I'm just trying to adjust this. So welcome back to Leftovers Podcast. Um, I'm Jason here as always with my brother Jacob. Hey. Um, before we get started, we're going to thank our Patreon donors. We have Austin, so thank you. Remy, thank you. RJ, Eric, and Christine. Uh, thank you all. They all donate at the $5, I believe. Um, we appreciate it so much. Yeah, we're super stoked about it. Uh, super stoked to see and just that people are are connecting and, and like like and want to support us. It's awesome. Um, other ways that you can support us um, are through like our social media. We have Facebook, Instagram. Go on there, like our page, follow our stuff. Uh, if you're listening, you know, give us a rate and review wherever you're listening. That really helps us. You could head over to patreon.com backslash leftovers pod. Um, and there we have our three tiered system, one, three to five dollars. And yeah, they just, we kind of take that money to kind of try and expand the show. Like we're going to, you know, like maybe invest in new equipment or, you know, whatever, you know, just trying to grow uh, what we're doing. We also have a storefront with multiple t-shirts, which, uh, one of our Patreons, Remy just bought a couple. So thank you for the support in that way as well. And yeah, we just, we have some really cool t-shirt designs up there and it's kind of just like, a some of it is really nothing to do with anything. We just really like making these t-shirts and, you know, just kind of living out, you know, like a t-shirt kind of fantasy where we, I don't know, we're just both kind of into making clothes. I think like designing t-shirts, it's something that we've both really wanted to do. And this is just an opportunity to do it. Um, so anyway, uh, there's a bunch of other stuff on there as well too. And it's not just t-shirts and it's not just, you know, like I said, it's not just our logo or anything like that. And yeah, we normally have the, the, the link, uh, to that, a link tree, um, in our descriptions. So yeah, it's super easy to get to. So anyway, with that out of the way, we are doing our next part in the for our Black History series, Black History Month series. And today we're going to be looking at a speech that was given by Angela Davis. And again, we're just we're not going to be repeating the whole speech. Uh, we're just going to be taking quotes from it. Um, we will be quoting it. Anyway, some background information um, about Angela Davis. She was born January 26th in 1944. Uh, she's a political activist, philosopher, an academic, an author. Yeah, she's most known for like her uh, talking about you know class and race struggles. She is a professor at the University of California, Santa Cruz. She has over 10 books written um, about, you know, class, feminism, race, and the prison system. 
she's she was very outspoken about the Vietnam War, pretty big critic. I I found this and I thought this was an interesting uh, thing. She was uh, she got a job as the assistant professor of philosophy at the University of California, Los Angeles, and she got fired from that job for her connection to the Communist Party. And a court ruled that that was illegal for them to fire her over that. And so when they gave when she got her job back, they fired her for using inflammatory language, which is like obviously, you know, people always talk about like freedom of speech, freedom of press, freedom of all these things, but nobody ever, you know, like likes to look at it like that. You know, like I lost my job because I was part of the Communist Party. Most people would probably look at that and be like, oh, yeah, well, fuck communists, you know. Well, there's also there's also right now there's that huge. I mean, it's been going on for a long time, but like you know, from the right, this where's where's free speech in college, yeah, uh, on college campuses, and it's like, uh, you know, as being a college student, it's like some of the most right wing like propaganda sold as education is promoted in in colleges and on college campuses, and yeah, I mean, I think it's I think that's what's so easily. Uh, forgotten when we think about you know uh, speech and uh, restricting of speech, right? It's always, always, always argued, or not always, but in in the modern era, it's modern by you know idiots like Jordan Peterson or Charlie Kirk or Ben Shapiro, but you know those aren't the people who do suffer from it. It's it is largely a, a left wing people. It's the same thing with like privacy laws and terrorism laws it's so easily turned into people on to on people to the left yeah yeah no exactly and and something that kind of speaks to that um in in 1970 um she actually went to jail and she went to prison because uh, she had some guns that were used in like uh the takeover of like a courtroom or something like some something happened um i didn't want to get too much into that actual event but anyway, four people were killed. I think a judge was killed, and then four of the people that were uh, perpetuating the takeover were killed as well. And so she got charged with three capital felonies, and she was jailed for a year um, and was later acquitted. Like after – like she only spent a year in prison and then was acquitted because she didn't have an actual connection besides just owning the guns that were used. Um but anyway, yeah, something that she had mentioned about it was, you know, like talking about how they they did have a restriction in prison to what literature people could read. And it was like hardcore leftist shit, like that wasn't allowed. Like people mm-hmm. weren't allowed to get the access to those kinds of books because it's very uh not upsetting, but it's it's upsetting to like status quo ideas, you know, and I feel like if you are given uh you know, like you can read the Bible, you can read religious contexts, you know, like things that are looked at as like good subservient type of like mentalities to get into. Um, but yeah, I mean, and I don't know what it is like now to be in prison today, if people have restricted access to certain literature or not, but, um, yeah, that'd be an interesting thing to look into, I think. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah. Um, did you have a quote that you wanted to start with or... Yeah, so uh, I think the speech, right, was uh, shortly after she got out of prison, yeah? Yeah, I think mm-hmm. it was like right after. Yeah, so uh, the, the speech is called The Gates of Freedom. 
The quote I wanted to start with is, quote, at that time, I was simply aspiring to do everything I could to give my meager talents and energies to the cause of my people, to the cause of black people and brown people, and to all racially oppressed and economically oppressed people in this country and throughout the globe, unquote. And I think this is such an important quote because it, it, it's further proof of the intersectional relationship race and racism have with poverty. And I think as uh, that the, the, this, this being our third thinker in this series here, I think, you know, oftentimes these people's ideologies or even ideas or thoughts are so simplified into only race relations, right? And I think oftentimes uh, it, it's forgotten that poverty, anti-violence, anti-war stances are often ingrained into those positions on race. And, you know, I think uh, Davis is pointing to here, and I kind of extrapolated myself, like the elimination of poverty is such a massive brick in the wall that is rebuilding of race relations in the United States and around the world. Yeah, I think that's uh, a super good point that I also think that why we get that idea that these people are only talking about race relations are these radical like black nationalists, right? Like Malcolm X is considered. And like it's spun on us. Like, see, they're not talking for you. They're not talking about you. You know, Mm -hmm. it's almost like a way for other powerful white people to further divide, you know, like uh, the working class people divide us by those race lines or to keep us divided by those race lines because it's been something that's been in play for so long. And I mean, it's just like, you know, talking to certain people and, you know, like I, I, I talked to this kid at the skate park one time, like during, uh, right when, after George Floyd was shot and there was like, uh, you know, marches going on every night and, you know, he was just like, yeah, it's just, it's so, you know, like scary out there and bad out there. And he's like, I'm a good Christian. You know, I, I I just want to love everybody and this and that, but I just don't understand what they want. I don't understand what they're doing. And I'm like, just fucking go out there and talk to people. Like if you really are concerned about it, just go and fucking see, you know, like, it's not like they're going out. It's not like they're fucking, Oh, if a white person shows up, we're going to kill them. Cause fuck all white people, you know, <laughs> yeah. like, I mean, there's sentiments like that. And I don't fucking put that, I don't hold that against any person of color if they have that sentiment of like, I will never trust white people. I, you know, like that's something where I'm like, I fucking understand that, you know, like it's hard for me to trust white dudes. You know what I mean? Like I see white dudes and I'm like, Oh fuck. Like, I like I just don't trust them. And it's not like I feel unsafe around them, but I just don't trust it. Right. And like it, yeah, there's just like a certain type of guy where it's like, Oh yeah, I bet, I bet that dude's fucking roofied someone. I bet that dude is fucking super racist, you know, and has a really rich, rich parents and drives a fucking, you know, goes around on his yacht and pretends to know what it's like to fucking struggle and work hard, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and yeah, like I don't hold those sentiments against people at all when they have those ideas, because it's like, those are, those have been the people that have been controlling people since the beginning of time, you know? And and yeah, I think that what you're talking about, the intersectionality of these ideas, is like the idea that people don't want us to understand is that what they're talking about is racism at the forefront. Yes, it is about racism, 
but it's also about classism. It's about sexism. It's about, you know, workers' rights. It's about poverty and it's anti-war. It's anti-capitalist. And even when I was reading the excerpt from this speech, because I found a shorter version, right, that I sent you first, there was stuff that was cut out from certain parts that I thought were like way more radical in the uh, original speech, you know, when it starts to get really anti-war and anti-poverty and anti-capitalist. And it's like they paraphrase some of that stuff out. And yeah. I'm, I'm just always like, this is some of the best stuff, though. This is the stuff that I think people should read because it's not about – you know, they want us to hear the version of it that makes us feel so racially divided. Yeah. And, and it just creates that divide in the lower class. It's it's the version that doesn't the, that doesn't create solidarity uh, uh, across different intersections of life, right? It's the version that says this person is only concerned about the, the good, about African Americans or Black people in America, right? Mm-hmm. It's it, but in reality, I mean, it's the same with Martin Luther King. It's the same with Malcolm X. It's like they they out and out said, hey. This is – I'm not anti-white. I'm not anti-this. It's going to take a coalition of people to stop – and these things, not just racism, but poverty and war and violence. And those are the things that, you know, when, uh, you know, you, they're ex, exurbid uh, – that's not the right word. But when they're, like, you know, abridged and they are uh, taught to you in a high school history class or even – I've even had college professors, like, Give me, uh, you know, something that's considered a speech, but then I, I start looking at it, and the quotes have, you know, the the three periods and the and the parentheses or whatever, and it's like, I go to find the 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 real thing, and what do you know? They're talk they're not talking about what the what what the what the professor is trying to present, right? They're talking about way more radical things, uh, anti-war, anti-poverty, anti-this, and it's not just about race relations in America; it's about an entire system of oppression. And, and I think that that is what is what I really enjoyed about this speech is it does – it speaks so much to the prison system and comparing the prison system to society overall. And so I think that was like a really cool um, – that's like a super cool theme that this speech kind of you know like took. And it made me think about that more. You know, Like we are all subject – to these things and we're all prisoners of certain things, right? Like even like people are like white people are prisoners to whiteness, even though we are benefiting from it. It's still like, you know, like for poor white people, we're still held to that kind of, you know, like we're, we're still in those certain confines as well to, to the overall white supremacist society that we live in. Right. And like, and I think that the first quote that I, really liked um because it was something i was actually just thinking about the other day um and it was quote it has been said many times that one can learn a great deal about society by looking towards its prisons looking towards its dungeons and there you will see in concentrated and microcosmic form the sickness of the entire system unquote and it that to me just like sums up so much because I've always thought about that is like – and it's something that is relevant now too, right? Like we're going through a pandemic and people are suffering. People are losing their jobs, losing their homes, not making any money. And 
Meanwhile, though, like our stock markets might look good or this big company might have made a lot of fucking money. You know, like these ultra wealthy people gained a lot and it looks like, oh, yeah, well, look, things aren't going too bad. Right. But it's like when you're judging our society constantly by the people at the top, you're not looking at like you should be judging it by the fucking person who has the least amount, which in this case, you know, the quote says, look to the prison system. How do we treat our prisoners? How are those people living? How are the houseless living? Like, who is the person that is living on the streets with nothing to their name? How is that person living? And that's how this country should be judged, not by how the the most wealthy person is doing. You know, and, and, and like, it just also speaks to the fact that, like, when people see media from across the world and they look at Americans, they have these judgments that, like, we all live these lifestyles like you see on TV. Like, you would see these stuck-up people going to really fancy fucking bars and owning really fancy things and... You know, and it's like a lot of Americans are just fucking struggling and don't like it either. You know, like we're not all like trying to be bougie, bougie, like trashy fucking, you know, like people. And um, and yeah, I think that it just that quote right there just sums that up. It's like you can't judge us by the people that are perpetuating the overall system. I mean, to kind of speak to that, to your quote there, I mean, America has the largest prison population in the world, I believe, and not per capita, but just in the world. Yeah. Uh, more than China, who we're constantly told is this political, you know, keeps political prisoners and keeps, you know, dissidents down and all that stuff. But they, have, But we have a bigger prison population than they do. That seems weird, right? We have a bigger prison population than Russia. Who again? We're told all the time, like, and I'm not saying it doesn't not happen, but like, you know, political prisoners and all that stuff, right? But we have the largest prison population in the world, and not to mention we have like extrajudicial prisons, Guantanamo Bay, and you know, uh, any other like uh, jail or prison for you know supposed terrorists or whatever. Uh, and not to mention we also keep uh, political prisoners. I mean, think about like. Uh, you know, even Angela Davis here, or when she was arrested, or like Leonard Peltier, uh, you know, with the uh, uh, Native American movement, uh, or American Indian movement, excuse me, uh, AIM. And, you know, these people have been in prison forever, just because they, ha- they hold different views than the United States government says is right or, you know, wrong. Um, I mean, I think also to kind of talk about prisons, like if you, again, go over to Western Europe, their prison systems are substantially more humane. I mean, uh, we're constantly told that prison is about rehabilitation and, uh, you know, but but people aren't allowed to, you know, come and get a job if they have a felony once they're out of the prison system. Uh, They're punished by being put in these like torturous conditions of solitary confinement. But if you go over to Europe, they have you know, houses and they have like, you know, once you've proven yourself, whatever, they have like maximum sentences, which are not minimum sentences, maximum sentences, like no matter what, you know, I don't remember what country it is. I want to say it's uh, uh, Sweden where even if you commit murder, you can't spend more than 25 years because if the prison system hasn't um, rehabilitated you within 25 years, then you're just torturing people. And I, I believe in other countries in South America, it's not illegal to try and escape prison because it's human nature, right? And I, I think the American prison system is one of the most uh, awful uh, institutions that has come to exist. And not just like in the Western world for such a developed nation, um, 
it just seems outrageous. And not to mention what we put people in prison for. I mean, small-time drug drug offenses, uh, you know, all the way up to violent crimes, which obviously should be, you know, uh, imprisoned. But I mean, that's how you also get people who, you know, the the uh, recidivism, right? Or, I don't remember what the word is. But uh, it, it's like basically the uh, re-entry rate of prison is super high because you basically, one, eliminate their ability to get a job by classifying them as a felony, or, or two, and then two, you give them uh, this access to a bunch of people who have, uh, you know, different uh, skills. Uh, and so you create criminals by pe- putting in the prison system, which only grows the criminal justice, criminal justice system. Um, and, it, and it's sad. And then again, just the last tidbit I'm going to share about prisons is like the private, privately owned profit, for-profit prisons. Uh, you know, that's horrendous. If if it is an American institution, shouldn't it be ran by and being able to be controlled by the American people? Yeah, that's – it's something that is very – it's super sad because it's something that we we're not faced with every single day. We don't see the inside of a prison. You know, we don't get to see how those people are treated. We don't get to uh, all we get to do is react to the stories, you know, and like and we're only reacting to the way people are telling the stories, right? Yep. yep. And like and and like while we're on this this prison topic, I, um I don't know if you had a quote, but I have the this two-part one that just has to do with this still yeah, directly. And uh, the first part is, quote, for prisons are political weapons. They function as a means of containing elements in this society which threaten the stability of the larger system, unquote. And, and like like you were saying, it, it people that do – people are put into prison for having radical ideas and speaking on them. And like – which is just so funny because it's like – I mean and it's things that even we saw trying to get passed by the Trump administration for like – putting a, a minimum sense of like 10 years in prison for people that are participating in a protest that was considered a riot or something, which to be considered a riot is, is nothing. Uh, the cops just declare it a riot. They can do that at any point. They can say, this is an illegal gathering. If you don't leave, you can be mm-hmm. arrested, you know, and that's that right there is using the, using prisons as a political tool, you know, to keep, to stop people from having political dissent. And uh, this other quote is, kind of speaks to what else you were saying and it's quote and for those who have committed a crime we have to seek out the root cause and we seek this cause not in them as individuals but in the capitalist system that produces the need for crime in the first place and i think that that is something that's so important because like we're saying like people are either a lot of times you see people thrown in jail for you know like we were talking about political reasons but then we're also seeing people thrown in jail for such petty stupid shit when it's like this person was selling drugs. This person was prostituting. And it's like, why do people do that? People don't just do that because they're innately bad. And it's not like those things are innately bad in themselves. A pharmaceutical company sells drugs, mm-hmm. you know, like there's prostitution is fucking legal in so many other places, you know, like, yeah. and I'm not saying that the way we do prostitution here is fucking healthy and great, you know, and, and there might be underlying issues with, that as a whole, you know, like potentially, but like there are, there's no reason to criminalize these people for doing these things or for using drugs, not even selling drugs, just using drugs. Like you're criminalizing it. And, and like, 
it's also something that she talks about throughout this speech. It's like there's people that are in here that are in the prison system that are just as innocent as, as, as you or I and who have no charge against them. But they are they are put into these fucking courts and they're like, you better take the fucking deal because you look really guilty. And if you don't take the deal, like you might get a maximum sentence. And since they don't have a fucking real defense – they take the deal and they end up in fucking prison for doing nothing. And it's mostly mm-hmm. because, well, you were at the right place, the right time, and guess what? You're the right fucking skin color, and you look like the bad guy. I think about it all the time, you know, when you know you watch like crime dramas or whatever, and they're like, well, do you have an alibi? And it's like, I think about that all the time. Like, you know, murders happen all the time, and crime happens all the time, right? Yeah. Uh, just globally, and it's like. I don't have an alibi ever. <laughs> yeah. Right, like, oh, I was at home. Okay, you're going to need to do better than that. Yeah, because uh, no, no one was there. Uh, yeah, like, well, my, uh, you know, my partner was there. They're like, well, they can't, we can't get witness from your partner because she's obviously involved in the case or whatever, right? Like, conflict of interest. <laughs> like, dude, if you don't have an alibi, you're screwed, man. And, like, honestly, most people don't have alibis. Like yeah. I don't think anyway. I'm not like, thinking I was, about I was at having home. an alibi. Yeah. Oh, I was driving a car. Not to mention, like, you remember three months ago what you were doing on this day? No. Yeah. Not right? at all. Exactly. And, and I think about that all the time too. And I'm like thinking about some of the times when it's like, this is the kind of evidence that people use to put people in jail, and the fact that it is so much easier to prove yourself guilty or to prove someone guilty than to prove yourself innocent. It takes so much longer and so much more evidence to prove that you are innocent than it does to prove that you're guilty. And it's like, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's just so unjust. The burden is constantly on the defendant, no matter how much we say, you know, guilty until proven or innocent until proven guilty. I mean, I don't just, that just doesn't apply unless you have the money to hire a a lawyer who's going to get you out of prison or jail you know, on on bail or whatever. It's just not. Mm-hmm. It, 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 our justice system is asymmetric in how it's, uh, you know, uh, how it how it's perpetrated. Like it's disgusting. Uh, anyway, so my next quote. Quote, and what happened was that the government's plan, the government's project of repression, fell apart. It backfired. The government could not, through me, terrorize people who openly demonstrate their opposition to racism, to war, to poverty, to repression. And again, anti-racism, anti-war, anti-poverty, anti-repression. Uh, you know, so often these civil rights figures, whether they're leaders or figures, uh, you know, so often the civil rights movement gets whitewashed by history, whitewashed by politicians, whitewashed by the news media entertainment complex. I'm simply concerned with the politics around race. And, and I believe this is so untrue. Like, the message was so much more broad than that, that their politics were so much more radical. And I think this should be understood as these leaders knowing that the system and the players and the defenders of that system who oppressed black people, who oppressed black Americans, also perpetrated the crimes of humanity across the gro- across the globe, like crimes of war, the crimes of oppression, the crimes of poverty, the crimes of terrorism. 
And, and I think this idea is largely misunderstood by the everyday like liberal or everyday like conservative voter, obviously not like some radical Trumpian person, right? I don't think they understand it either, but I don't think they care to understand it. But I think the, I don't think these people understand that the system will defend itself, and the system itself is bigger than racist. It's bigger than all these things. It's, all, it's everything, all in one. And to end racism, like so too must capitalism fall, right? Like so too must the propping up of the military-industrial complex fall. Our government, the different branches, the different powers within it will uphold its own power every single time. If the liberal politicians who have been in power for years and decades actually wanted to change, they would have done it. They've had like democratic politicians have had this have had power in both houses and in the presidency before. They have it right now. Right? Like why hasn't Congress legislated away the corrupt decision uh, of Citizens United that puts money into politics, like unlimited money into politics? If that's so wrong, and, 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 and there's clearly a desire for that across the spectrum of, of American voters, why haven't they legislated against it? Why haven't they brought COVID relief? It's already being negotiated down from $1,400. Now it's mean tested? It's crazy. I mean, I think, like, I don't think they want to, right? And I think there are a few decent human beings inside those chambers of power or whatever, but like, they they are outnumbered by others who are who are terrible, and like these people are still going to defend the corrupt politics, like the corrupt money grubbing politics that we see today, and, and to kind of like um, to kind of uh, reiterate what I mean by liberal politicians making these things only about race, and and not solidarity amongst the intersectionality of where poverty and class and racism and, and sexism kind of collide, right? It's a tweet from Cory Booker, right? And, and, and in this tweet, Cory Booker, this was recent, he, he's tweeting Fred Hampton, quote, by Cory Booker from Fred Hampton, we've got to face the fact that some people who say the who say you fight fire the best with fire, but we say you put out fire with best with water. We say you don't fight racism with racism. We're going to fight racism with solidarity. Unquote by Cory Booker. But this isn't the whole quote. But Cory Booker ends this quote as hashtag Black History Month. And if you were to continue with this quote by Fred Hampton, it continues to say, quote, we say we're not going to fight capitalism with black capitalism. We're going to fight it with socialism, unquote. Why was that part left out? That's where the period is. Yeah, and it's not that much more. It's not. Fucking couple more words. Mm-hmm. And, and this is this is this. I think this is what's under, misunderstood. It's the system. The system needs to be challenged. It's not the individuals within it. Yeah, and the. I mean, and the thing is too is that like we can't. I think – and you kind of said this. We can't expect the system not to defend itself. Like that's something that we can't expect. Like we can't ex- – like that's why w- when people get so shocked about these things that are happening, they're like, I can't believe this. Like liberals. Liberals get this way. I can't believe that this is happening. And I'm like, 
I'm not justifying it, but I'm not fucking shocked at all, ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- they're like, I just can't believe that these cops are still shooting black people. And I'm like, we've been doing it for hundreds of years. We've been doing yeah. it since the inception of this country, since before that. Like, how is this a shock to you? Like, you can't sit there and, and just shake your head at it and be like, I can't believe the world is this screwed up. Like, you have to acknowledge that it's doing what it is intended to do. Like, and the more you pretend that, like, it's not supposed to do that and it's just some people doing bad things, you know? Like, that's the thing is people just, like, that's what they say. It's just a few people doing a doing bad things inside the system. The system in itself isn't innately bad. And, and it's like, that's, that's just so fucking wrong. It's just wrong. And, and like, I'm not going to be afraid to admit it. Like, that's just wrong. And, and, and anyone that believes that I think is just wrong. You know, like, like we might be able to use some of the structure of this system to perpetuate some sort of better society, you know? And like, I mean, even if we've conquered racism and systemic racism inside of capitalism, which would take a lot, and, and I don't even think it's really real, you know, possi- possible. I don't think it's really possible. But even if we get to a point where that is some sort of facade, you know, like we're still perpetuating this system that is overtly violent towards people that are different. And like, even if we have a perfectly harmonious society in America, like that doesn't say anything to the relations to the rest of the world. And like it, yeah, it's just so frustrating when, when I feel like, like actually, okay, here's this, here's a quote from the speech and it says, quote, a free, humane, harmonious society lies very near. But at the same time, it is so far away because someone is holding the keys and that someone refuses to open the gates to freedom. Like the prisoner, we are locked up with the ugliness of racism and poverty and war. And like, it just, like we are still going to be imprisoned in this system as long as we're perpetuating, as long as we're perpetuating capital, capitalism, and for-profit things, and we're in a – I think it was from a Martin Luther King one that we did last week. If we don't change from a thing-oriented society to a human, to a people-oriented society, and to, to like a a more humane and compassionate-oriented society, like that's – none of those problems are going to go away. It doesn't matter how harmonious society is in this country. Yeah. Yeah. I mean we, we – <laughs> you know, we continually uh, spend money on things to bring harm to others. Uh, the war machine, for example, uh, privatizing things that are there. I mean, look at the defunding. Of, <laughs> like it's it's like UPS this year or USPS, excuse me. Like as simple as something like that, but but then. You know, there's calls to privatize the whole thing and to get rid of the USPS, and it's like, and then what? People don't have access to the most primitive forms of communication. You know, it's the same with the internet and kids learning. Like, we can spend so much money on defense contractors and 
you know, wars and bomb makers and funding Saudi Arabia's war in Yemen and funding Israel's fucking terror on the Palestinians. But we can't give everyone internet so they can go to school during a pandemic. We can't give everyone, we can't get everyone, we can't give everyone food for, food for lunch even when they're in school. How insane is that? That lunch debt exists in this country, the richest country in the in the in, in the history of, of the world. Quote yeah. For this society's accumulated wealth, its scientific achievements are swallowed up by the avarice of a few capitalists and by the insane projects of war and other irrational ventures. We are imprisoned in a society where there is so much wealth and so much sophisticated scientific and technological skills that anyone with just a bit of common sense can see the insanity of a continued existence of ghettos and barrios and the poverty which is there, unquote. And it's even worse today than it was in 1972. I mean, we have... I was in, I was in class the other day and someone said, well, isn't in America, isn't there the most millionaires per capita or something? And it's like, yeah, I don't care about millionaires. Like you said earlier, like what about... Aren't there the most poor people here too in the industrialized world? Yes. Oh, oh your taxes are going to raise and you're going to have to spend a little bit more money on taxes? My gosh. At least kids will be able to eat food. Yeah. And, and, and the, the violence that comes from a system that, that uh, prioritizes individuality over respect for your neighbor, over decency for your neighbor, is not one of freedom. It's one of winners and losers, and mostly losers. And... The government is choosing winners and losers. That's what is bothersome so much because they have the ability to tax people fairly. Yeah. I mean, it's just like the what she's saying in here. Someone has the keys. Someone has the fucking keys and they hand them out and they choose who they hand them out to and who has access to them. And that's it. I mean, it's just like when you look at the prison system, the guards walk around with the keys. Even though they beat people. They spray feces on people. They put people into dangerous situations where they know they're going to be physically assaulted, sexually assaulted. Are those not crimes against humanity? Are those not crimes against another human being? To fucking beat somebody because they broke the law? That's a fucking crime, but that person has the key. And that person was chosen. And, and like, it... It just blows my mind. And even to make judgments on people with these like fucking – they mentioned it in this speech too, like with these kangaroo courts and like with people that are in prison and they go to speak to a panel of people who are prison guards and who are you know, like the, the – the, the, I can't think of the, the name, the, the prison – the wardens and stuff. Mm-hmm. They, they speak to the people who are torturing them to try and plead – to get out and like you said earlier there it the fact that it's so important for prisoners not to escape which just like blows my mind because that is also there's another quote from another person in this speech that angela davis quotes that talks about 
an interview with with some of the the guards or the warden or whoever, and, and it's literally they're saying if we have to kill innocent bystanders to stop one person from escaping this prison, we will do it. And the fact that saving innocent lives is less important than letting one guilty life go, even if that person isn't guilty, if it, they're seen as guilty by the law, letting them escape is too much of a risk for whatever reason. And you're willing to kill innocent bystanders to get it done, to get that person back into custody. Yeah, I think, I think in that quote, the, the questioner asks, what if you had to kill 20 children? And the, and the guard is like, yeah, we would kill 20. Like basically, I mean, it's not that I'm paraphrasing here, but he's like, yeah, we would kill 20 children to prevent one escape. Yeah. Cruel. And the thing is that they, they could do that and they still have the keys and mm-hmm. they're still judging other people who, who knows if the prisoner that escaped, maybe they were just a radical thinker. Maybe they were just on a fucking bogus drug charge, you know, like maybe their fucking their their house got stormed on bogus drug charges because they were being wiretapped for being radical fucking organizers. That happens all the fucking time. I mean, look at what like move like they were like an environmentalist, you know, like uh, like group of people of color. And it's like they. The fucking cops stormed their fucking place and then they blamed them when they started shooting back for people breaking into their fucking house. Like when the Brianna police... Taylor and her husband or her boyfriend. Exactly. It happens every fucking time. And the thing that pisses me off the most about that kind of stuff, and even about this, when when Angela Davis went to fucking jail, the NRA doesn't speak to these things. They don't try to help these people out. They don't try to help out Black Panthers. They don't help out people of color that are going through issues with with the second amendment you know the, like, the nra and ronald reagan set up the first gun control laws in california when reagan was the governor of california to prevent black panthers from carrying around shotguns exactly it, and it's like and that's when it is too something that i think white people do need to understand they do need to understand that these people are radical thinkers and they talk about solidarity and they talk about class struggle. They talk about this, but yes, they also talk about race because race is super fucking real. And like, it is a thing that the system judges, the system judges people of color who have weapons legally more than it'll judge a white person, a white person with a rifle that wants to fucking walk to the grocery store. That's a okay. You know, but a radical fucking thinking group, who has never done anything violent that wants to own a weapon. And by radical, I mean, feed children, promote fucking equality. Like those are set up food programs. Exactly. Like the black Panthers Mm -hmm. and, and they classify them as these terrorist organizations and a threat because they're a threat to the status quo. They're a threat to what keeps the power structure in power. And the thing is, is that I think, People are fucking scared of what a world would look like without these structures. Mm-hmm. And they don't understand that like we're all fucking humans. And like if we have that solidarity, we don't need to fucking worry about it because we'll figure it out. We're human beings. We're fucking natural born animals. Like that's all we are. Like we live on the, We exist on this planet. It was made for us. We were made for it. You know, like mm-hmm. – 
it's not fucking scary. I mean, yeah, I guess it's scary, but like, yeah, it, it just, I think, uh, a quote that I wanted to say is, it, it, I think it's spoken right after the quote that you just said. I think it's like the, okay. maybe the next paragraph of it. Um, and it says, quote, for when we see the rockets taking off towards the moon and the B-52s raining destruction and death on the people of Vietnam, we know that something is wrong. We know that all we have to do is to redirect that wealth and that energy and channel it into food for the hungry and clothes for the needy, into schools, hospitals, housing, and all the material things that are necessary in order for human beings to lead decent comfortable lives and the fact that unquote the fact that that is a radical thought that you just want people to be able to live comfortably and i would say i want even more than that i don't want people to just live comfortably i want people to be able to fucking thrive and be excited to be alive you know and and the fact that people that think those things are like hey maybe we shouldn't blow up you know, brown children across the ocean, Vietnamese children. We shouldn't be blowing those people up, spending billions, trillions of dollars on it every year. We should be able to fucking feed our entire country, our entire – the entire world population with that, you know? Yeah. And the fact that people still prop up capitalism as this great progressive thing, like, oh, well, look at the innovation. You know, capitalism breeds innovation. It breeds progress. But it's like we haven't progressed and it's just like the whole basis of this whole speech. Look at the fucking prisons. If that still exists in this society, then we haven't progressed. I don't care how many millionaires there are per capita, like you said. It doesn't matter. I don't care. What about the people that have nothing? I want to see the quality of life that somebody who just has nothing is. What is it? You know, because people shouldn't have nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the next quote I wanted to read, quote, it has been, uh, excuse me, I was just reading your quote, quote, for in a painfully real sense, we are all, pers- we are all prisoners of a society with bombastic proclamations of freedom and justice for all are nothing but meaningless rhetoric. And I, it's, it's so poignant to our situation today with, uh, Joe Biden and the supposedly blue wave, right? And, and and it's like, it's rhetoric fed to us by politicians who operate and defend the system that oppresses us. Uh, it, 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 what really bothers me is the fanhood that comes along with these like liberal, even con- it happens on the conservative side. And, and I, my thing with like liberal like worship is like, they're telling like the thing that I don't why I hate the liberal fandom more than I hate the conservative fandom is because the liberals are acting like they're doing something good for you and they're 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 taking up the wing of progressivism at least at least the people on the right are like no progressivism sucks right like socialism sucks I mean they just come out right and say it whereas Nancy Pelosi can be like what progressive I'm a progressive right uh, and, and that, that, but so this rhetoric and this fandom, it's like, they don't deserve your love. They don't deserve your admiration. Like 
politicians are supposed to be useful to you. <laughs> You're not just supposed to be useful to them. It's supposed to be a two-way relationship. You give them your vote and you give them your support because they're supposed to be giving something back to you. Like you can give them the dignity you give anyone else. Anyone else passing on the street. I'm not saying treat them like trash. I'm not saying they're, they're your enemy. Right? Like I'm saying hold them to account. Like if they don't give you the thing that you asked for, vote them out. Whole, uh, demand impeachment. Like they're not your friends. Talk is cheap. Action is where the value is. It, it's it's kind of like what you're speaking to. If you have the power to change something for the good and you do not, isn't that wrong? Isn't Absolutely. it wrong every every time Congress or whoever makes a decision to fund? the military industrial complex, but allows people to go hungry. Isn't that wrong? That is violence, right? And I, and I think that's what's so bothersome about the liberal worship for me is these people tell you they're your friend and that they want to do good for you, but then they fucking vote to, you know, give when Donald Trump was president, give him more, uh, more power to, encroach on your privacy more and more military executive power but he's supposed to be the he was supposed to be this fascist threat to democracy oh but just give them just give the executive arm any any power they want any spycraft power they want as if that's not the real goal and i, I think that's what's so bothersome is those those those, those things pass all the time with support on both sides. I was watching C-SPAN a few months ago and some guy got up there, a Democrat, I believe, and he was like, you know, I think a few people were holding up a vote on expanding, you know, uh, the military budget. He's like, these things pass all the time, no problem. What's happening right now? And it's like, that's, that, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's, what, that's what he expects. Just fucking pass it. Yeah, what, what are we doing we need to take yeah. care of our military women and children. And this is, again, I'm not like anti-military people or veterans. These, these military acts, these military funds don't go to the people who, who served. I mean, the thing like the Wounded Warrior Project, they had to start a, 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 a charity to give money to people who are veterans. Why? Talk, talk to any – most military people and like, the VA sucks. You can't get in there. It doesn't do this and that. I, I, I personally know a guy who like got denied that he needed hip surgery because of what he did in the military. Turns out he needed both hips replaced. It took him like five years or something to win that battle with the VA. Why? Yeah. Because they're underfunded. They're understaffed. All the military budget actually just goes to Boeing, Lockheed Martin, Northrop Grumman to build stuff, to get people wealthy. And then you have people like Anthony Blinken, who basically, you know, he's the secretary of state or, or defense or whatever for Joe Biden. And people are like, look at him. He is in a band. I don't fucking care. He lobbies for the d defense industry. <laughs> it sucks. Yeah. yeah. And we, we fanboy over that, those people. And it's like, these people are terrible. Yeah, and I think it's also just because we are so disconnected from it. And, and like in such a way that we don't 
we don't see the real destruction in even in our own society. I've never seen uh, fucking kids caged up at the border. I've never seen that in person. You know, like so for the people that don't even think about those things, because obviously we think about those things. The people that don't think about them, they've never seen it. They never questioned anything. You know, like those types of things are so unreal to them. Like it's so unreal for them to imagine what it's like to have a fucking to have a bomb hit the house next to you. Like, can you imagine that? Can you imagine if a bomb went off and you saw your neighbors fucking exploded? Like, what would happen to you? What would happen to you mentally? You I mean, know? On the, uh, I had a car, like a gas explosion happen near an apartment one time, and I was like freaked out for days because it's yeah. like it wasn't like it was just it was a one hundred percent pure accident, and it like but it shook my apartment because it was like a block away, and I couldn't imagine if it was next door. Yeah, a bomb and a bomb that killed people. My God. Yeah, I mean, in something even more close to home, can you imagine if you or I were fucking killed, were murdered by the police for something? Mm-hmm. I literally, I would seek out to murder the person that did it. I would go and kill them, knowing that like nothing good is going to come from this. I'm going to Alleg- shoot them in the fucking yeah. head. Allegedly. You know? Like that's that's what yeah that that's what I would that's how I would feel I don't know if I would act those out but like th- the fact that people don't don't think about these things being real because it doesn't affect their lives you know and they mm-hmm. can't put themselves in other people's shoes I'm like imagine if your child was fucking killed I don't care if they robbed a fucking bank I don't care you know like I like it's just that, yeah that shit just it bugs me so bad because people are just so so disconnected from what reality actually looks like. And, and I'm not trying to say that like I have this connection to, to reality and to people's actual struggles because I'm like I'm saying I don't. But like I – when you think about them and you understand them, you try to understand other people's perspectives. You, you start to gain that kind of like – you gain that idea. You gain that understanding and, and you gain that – and, and yeah, like what you were saying with the whole like fucking being super fans of these political figures and and like sometimes I feel sympathy for them. You know, I'm like, I'm sure it's super fucking stressful. But at the same time, I'm like, these people make the worst decisions on the fucking planet. Yeah. And the thing is, is that they probably are also disconnected. They're not sitting next to fucking houses being blown up. They're not, you know, Joe Biden's not over there. The Obama administration isn't getting blown up by fucking bombs, you know? Like, you don't know what it's like, but you will order so many fucking drone strikes, you know? But we can justify those murders. But we can't justify a fucking black kid stealing candy. But we can justify a president saying, yes, drop the bomb over there. And then there's a person that drops the bomb. And then if somebody innocent gets killed, it doesn't fucking matter. It's like, well, that's a cost of war. We didn't it's mean like not even – it's not even like a person anymore. It's like a, it's someone sitting in New Mexico or Arizona or you know, on a fucking airship uh, – uh, uh, aircraft carrier or whatever, and they you know, – it's dropped by a drone. So everything is alienated. Really, <laughs> we're not even connected to our murder work anymore. Yeah. Exactly. We're, we're not connected to it, and I think that we just don't 
it's not real to us. And I think that as people in, in American society, we're so disconnected from death too that like we – I think that we're just so disconnected from it because we, we avoid it. You know, people go and die in the hospital nobody with nobody around. Yeah. Like the fact that we don't have that connection to, to that part of our lives, I feel like makes us not understand how precious it is to be alive and, and to, and to, to think of all life as something that should be precious and saved. And like, I think something that I saw that I thought was funny uh, to kind of lighten the mood a little bit, I guess was like, um, it speaks to exactly what you were saying. There was a picture of somebody's car and it's like their bumper stickers. And it was a, a sticker of Che, Che Guevara mm-hmm. next to a, a Biden and Harris sticker. Yeah. And it's like, what has happened to the, the, the liberal, you know, like who the fuck are these people? <laughs> how are you going to, how are you going to do that? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Like, who do you think you are? Who are you tricking? You know? I was listening to this monologue the other day, uh, and it said something that I thought was pretty profound. Um, and, and it's not going to be an exact quote, but the idea basically was, you know, action doesn't come from uh, like academic work or thinking about something or, you know, anything like that. Action comes from experience, like a change comes from experience and that's actually something I very feel very close to because I would say if I were to be going to school before I went to go work in a factory I don't think I would come out as uh as as far left as I am because the experience I had in a factory uh you know brought me here to where I'm at now right and, and, and all throughout academic, my academic career, these uh, experiences of work are often simplified and often misrepresented as this is what happens when you're at the workplace. It's like, no, what happens at the workplace is crazy or crazy, you know, uh, you know, this, this is what happens in factories most of the time. And this is what happens when you're in a union and it's like, None of those things are true. None of those things are true to the experience because who's writing them? Academics who have never worked in a factory, have never been part of a, a labor union, right? And I think often, like you're saying, the 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 not experiencing it yourself, the not knowing what is actually happening on the ground, destroys any ability to put them to have any kind of empathy. For someone else, because um, empathy is hard in America. It's purposely made hard. Yeah, it's the focus on our individuality. Which, again, I'm not saying that I am anti-individuality. Like I love my individuality and think people should be individuals. But like, when we're we're not focused in a collectivist kind of way. Like, I don't understand how anything we do can be considered humane. You know, like, I just don't think society is humane at all. Like, if we can let people starve, if people are rotting in prisons, like, we're not living in a just society at all. Like, even if, even if the standard of living for average people is okay. Which, yeah, 
It's 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 I've I've read multiple studies that says that say like it's not that you know because often the economist argument is that standard of living has gone up as the wealth uh, distribution has become more unequal, right? But often in human psychology, it's not the idea of my standard is getting better in a in, a, in an absolute manner. It's relative. Humans think in relative nature because I I believe we're communal creatures. And so if you have this person who is doing exorbitantly better than you, right, <laughs> and you're, you're, you're barely making it, you're like, well, why does that happen, right? Even if, oh, I have access to a cell phone and internet now, right? That doesn't mean that, it, you know, we're creatures that, that see things that are unfair and we go, well, that's not fair, right? And, and I swear the only people who are telling us it's fair are the people receiving the benefits of that unfairness. Everyone else who, who is on the other side of the coin, you know what I mean, like being treated unfairly is like, this sucks. Why, why is this like this? And I think no matter if you're left or right in America, right, like people are seeing the unfairness of the system. Whether they're expressing it correctly or analyzing it correctly, that's beyond me. I'm not, I'm not that person. But what, what I'm saying is <laughs> we know it's unfair. Everyone seems to know it's unfair except the people who are like, Benefiting from it, benefiting from it, but those are also the same people who are like, no, this is fair, and here's why. It's frustrating. Yeah, it's super, it's super duper frustrating to me, and it's, and it's hard to not put the blame on on to other individuals, you know, that are in better positions. I mean, that's like the natural response to be like, well, fuck that person, you know. Yeah. And like for me, I've been trying to get away from that because I'm like, a lot of stuff is circumstantial. You know, people have luck in certain circumstances that get them into certain places. And and who am I to say? Like you said, you would be a different person if you didn't work in a factory floor. You know, like we would all be different people if our circumstances were different. You know what I mean? And it's like it's so hard to to blame. It's so easy to blame the individual, but it's so hard to not want to. Especially when, yeah, like you're saying, they're the ones that are saying, oh, no, it, it just – it's fair. You just have to do something different. Yeah. You're just not trying hard. You're not doing this. Not considering the fact that things might be circumstantial. Maybe we have the same circumstances, but you had a random opportunity that popped up that would never pop up in my life. You know, And like that was the thing. It's not just your hard work. You know, And, and yeah, I mean that's – it's super frustrating. And to get back to the speech, I I don't have any more quotes that I wanted to quote. I don't know if you do. I just have one um, that – I have a few, but for, for sake of time, um, I'll just read this last one. And I don't have any prepared uh, statements on it, but here goes. So I think we're going to end on this quote. Quote, as one student of the prison system has said, thus the material, materially hungry must steal to survive. The spiritually hungry commit antisocial acts because their human needs cannot be met in, property or in, in a property-oriented state. It is a fair estimate. He goes on to say that somewhere around 90% of the crimes committed would not be considered crimes or would not occur in a people-oriented society. In October 1970, 
a prisoner who had taken part in the Tombs Rebellion in New York, gave the following answers to questions put to him by a newsman. Question. What is your name? Answer. I am a revolutionary. Question. What are you charged with? Answer. I was born black. Question. How long have you been in? Answer. I've had trouble since the day I was born. I think that speaks to kind of what you're saying with the opportunities and the relative opportunities that we see. I think I struggled a lot with, as a kid, seeing my friends have opportunities to go work with their dads or their, or their parents or some way or another. And it's even been further exasperated by my understanding of like <laughs> how jobs get handed down in the national political realm. People have jobs in academic, academia because their their dads or you know their moms were part of an administration. People get jobs in lobbying firms because, or you know because they have contacts to you know close contacts either friends of the family or family themselves inside of you know some sort of governmental body. I mean, not to bring like to bring up Joe Biden one more time. Like, look at Bo Biden. And he, he gets, it's, you know, everyone throws their hands up. Oh, this is a right wing, you know, conspiracy theory. But what did Bo Biden have anything to do with a gas company in Ukraine, except that his dad was, you know, uh, the vice president at one point and now the president. And I, I think if anyone else lived Bo Biden's life, like, you know, he's like, he's like an out and out crackhead. He's, he, you know, he's a crack addict. He admits it. Like, but I also think it applies to like George Bush, and you know, George Bush had access to his daddy. Like, got into the Air National Guard. It like skipped the line, right? Didn't serve for his last two years. Became president of the United States. Became the governor of Texas. This happens all the time. It happens on levels. People have jobs at the New Yorker magazine because their dads or their moms have positions somewhere. Getting to go to an Ivy League college um, because of a legacy thing, I don't know if that means you worked harder than anyone else, right? Like, I could never go to an Ivy League. I don't have any money to give them. I don't have any family member to, like, give them a reward, like, a dedication. I don't have I'm – not, <laughs> I'm not that smart, I don't think. <laughs> but it's just, like, opportunities are different. I was born in this shit, like – I was born in I was born into poverty. And that's okay like I I'm not saying I don't want pity. I, that's not what I'm asking for from anybody, you know? Like I worked my you know, I think I worked my way out of it, but it's like I did it in a factory. It's different. <laughs> and and I think again like just to reiterate what kind of what I think what I take from Davis here is like race in America and like lower classes in America and people who are just repressed by the state in general should seek solidarity with other peoples who are being repressed. It's, it's unfair that we continually get to see these people in the civil rights movement as only concerned about racism in America. But if you think about the term civil rights, and civil liberties, what does that mean? That's like freedom of speech, freedom of press, right? The things that our Constitution and Bill of Rights are supposed to protect for everybody. 
And these people were much more concerned with intersectional politics than they than, than they are ever portrayed on mainstream media. Like Davis is talking about anti-prison. <laughs> Like, and she's in not just in the seventies, and she's not talking about just black people. She says brown people, white people, right? Yeah. Martin Luther King said brown people, white people made an army of poor of all colors. And it's uh, it's very sad. We only get to see one dimension of these incredible incredible thinkers who are obviously multi-dimensional and have more bro- like depth than. I don't like the racism and capitalism. Like I fucking hate capitalism because it breeds racism. Yeah. And I think something that I heard that I think would be cool to end on is like, I heard out of March, uh, someone was giving a speech and they say, you can't hate the police more than your love for black people. Like, you have to love black people, and that's why you hate the police. It's not the other way around, you know? Like, yeah. And I think that speaks to the, to the same – like, to that same extent. Like, we can't just the, – the, the, the depth behind that, the understanding behind that is, like, that I think a lot of white people don't understand. Like, oh, I hate the cops too. It's like that's not the point. The point is not to hate the police. The point is that we love other people so much that we hate seeing what the cops are doing to them. And that's where the outrage needs to lie. We're not rebels without a cause, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, there's a fucking reason for it. And the reason is is our humanity. Yeah. I, it, that's Yeah, that's incredibly poignant because you can't just hate the police – you have to there has to be a reason as to why and that like it again it speaks to the intersectionality of the entire thing how quickly do we do we ignore the the problems presented by black lives matter uh, i'm not i'm not saying black lives matter is presenting problems i'm saying that the problems that black lives matter has brought to light until it's on everyone's doorstep until we live in a out and out police state or at least you recognize it because i believe we do yeah yeah, this is a super good this is a super good speech, really thought provoking and like it, it still blows my mind that this was in the seventies and Yeah, I mean this could this could be a speech from today. Yeah. And that's true for everything. It's true for everything that we've this Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, anybody that we could talk about is you draw similarities f- throughout history because it's like never fucking actually changed. I mean, it's just like why Rage Against the Machine is still relevant today. Why are their lyrics still relevant? Mm-hmm. Why is this still so relevant? That's the real question. Why? Why are we even saying? Why are we still having to talk about this? You know? Because it still exists. It's never gone away. Yep. All right. Well, I hope everybody has enjoyed this episode. Kind of depressing. Uh... <laughs> yeah. Super real. <laughs> Super real, real, real in your face. But uh, I, I hope everyone does. Uh, you know, we'll provide a link uh, to the speech, to the full speech, and uh, we'll actually provide the link to the excerpt so you can actually see what they kind of whitewashed out uh, too, if you want. Uh, I hope you read the speech before you listen, or at least bra- uh, skim it. Um, 
But uh, yeah, thank you, thank you to our Patreon supporters. Thank you guys for uh, supporting us every month. That's super awesome. Um, thank you to all our listeners. Thank you for thank you to Remy for buying a shirt. Thank you to Christine for buying a sweatshirt early early in the days of the storefront. Um, yeah, uh, see you guys. Uh, see you soon. Check you later.